welcome again to a novel evening. I am Danny. You can find me over on Instagram and occasionally TikTok as Blotted Ink Books. And this week is a, a crazy exciting episode for me um, because I'm going to get to talk to one of my absolute favourite authors. Uh, I'm pretty giddy. I'm trying to play it pretty cool right now and probably failing miserably. Uh, but his book, Empire of the Vampire, is up there for me easily within my top five fantasy books. Easily. Um, and actually, his trilogy, Nevernight, is probably also up there. So Empire of the Vampire, for me, you know, it's a proper kick-ass, old-school, uh, gory vampire story. Um, when I got the hardback, it's absolutely bloody beautiful. Um, it's everything you want from a true gothic vampire novel. And uh, Nevernight, I mean, my one goal now is to be able to write a heroine as badass as Mia Corvair. I'm not sure I'll ever manage it. Uh, I'm still, I'm still trying. And, you know, his works with Amy Kaufman are just awesome. Um, yeah, you can hear the excitement in my voice. I'm not playing it cool at all. I cannot wait. Um, so I'm super excited to welcome the one and only Jay Kristoff to a novel evening. So a massive hello to Jay. Hello. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's uh, very late uh, in Melbourne and it's very sunny where you are. So that's a it's, bit, well, that's a bit weird. It's sunny. It's very grey where I am. It's very grey. Oh, okay. so, yeah. Yeah, where, where in England are you? I'm in Devon, so I'm on the south coast. Okay. Um, and we should be getting spring, but we've had snow warnings, so yeah, wow, well. yes, <laughs> English. Well, I mean, I, I live in Melbourne, uh, that's the city with the worst weather in Australia, so <laughs> you're, you're probably in the same boat as me. I have heard that, but thank you very much for staying up late to come and chat to me. Um, I'm very yeah, absolutely. Excited. Uh, <laughs> This is a big one. I don't usually get nervous before recordings, but uh, I'm definitely a bit nervous this time. You'll be fine. I'm, I'm a very <laughs> easy interview. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of technical mishaps at the start, so I'm hoping that, you know, we won't have any more of those and this is all going to go smoothly. <laughs> no, I'm not very technically minded, I'm afraid. So whatever problems were almost certainly my fault, but we'll muddle on. <laughs> We'll tackle them. It's fine. So yeah. I'm super pumped to have you on here because I'm a I'm a huge fan. Um, I'm a massive fan. I first read your work through Empire of the Vampire. Oh wow! Then, okay. Yeah, and then I travelled backwards from there. Really. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, which I think is is quite unusual. I know you have a huge fan base and a huge following of people who I'm sure have decimated your works from start to finish um so I started with Empire and then I was like well I need to go back and read everything else um <laughs> <laughs> immediately so I'm gonna go back to I read the Nevernight trilogy with a friend we read them back to back I was, so yeah you could have just binged the whole series right yeah I did I did yeah I wow we binged it which was awesome to get to read them like back to back I hate when you have to wait for a book Empire of the Vampire just saying uh, <laughs> I know you're working on it. I know you need time to create this art, but I'm impatient. So uh, I was, I'm working on it right now. It's literally <laughs> open in front of me. I'm not saying, you um, know, cracking the whip or anything, but I'm I'm writing as we talk. I'm multitasking. <laughs> right now, as we're speaking. 
So my goal, you know, when I read Nevernight, if I could ever write a heroine as badass as Mia, I would be happy. That's like... Uh, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. That's a really nice thing to say. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Where did this... Because you've got kind of... When you read it, there's kind of Romanesque influences in there. I feel like you've drawn on a lot of different um, inspirations for those novels. Where did the idea come from for Nevernight? Um, I mean, different parts of it came from different places, but yeah, I'm a huge Roman history nerd. Uh, yeah. I, I love ancient Rome and uh, my wife and I got, actually got married in Rome. So wow. uh, if I could live anywhere in the world other than Melbourne, which I also love, I'd probably live in Rome. Yeah, there's something about Italy that, uh, yeah, I've always loved. And yeah, I remember being there on vacation uh, in 20... 14 I think um yeah it's a long time ago now almost 10 years ago uh and uh, my wife and I were walking around the Colosseum and this idea actually I don't know if it was 2014 that doesn't make sense because I started writing them in 2013 but anyway we were there and I was walking around the Colosseum and an idea kind of started a seed of an idea started uh and it kind of grew from there but yeah, the, the political systems um, and kind of the history of the Republic, or at least the early Republic, are based in part on ancient Roman history. One of the ideas at the core of the book, it started as a thought experiment um, about what would have happened to Julius Caesar's family if his rebellion against the Senate has fa had failed because he had a wife and a daughter um, and he was a very successful general and the Roman Senate became afraid of his power and told him to disband his army. And instead he marched his army on Rome very famously. Um, and that led to him becoming dictator for life. And that led to the collapse of the Roman Republic. But if a few key points, historically speaking, if things had have gone differently, he would have been executed as a traitor to the Senate. So, you know, history is written by the winners, so to speak. But if Julius had lost, what would have happened to his family? So. Mia's origin story is kind of based in part on that thought experiment because oh, her father of course is a very successful general who um again yeah he, he tried to rebel against the senate and he failed and he was hung as a traitor so yeah that that's one of the one of the thoughts at the heart of her origin so yeah the whole the whole series is pretty closely tied to ancient Rome. yeah you definitely get that vibe straight off i definitely kind of felt that deep within that but I feel like you have such a complex plot in those books and a lot happens how do you track that <laughs> how do you keep, <laughs> do you know from start to finish what will happen throughout the whole trilogy no not at all um I didn't even know who the narrator was when wow. I started writing it I didn't I didn't really make up my mind about who the narrator was until I was three quarters of the way through God's Grave whoa yeah i just make it up as i go <laughs> I'm, I'm glad i pull it off but i honestly have no idea what i'm doing half the time i mean that <laughs> so makes could, me that's... so much better about my own writing <laughs> yeah no no just make it up fake it till you make it yeah the, the narrator could have been three people and i was i was writing it in a way so that all three of those possibilities could have been true wow. um for a long time i thought the narrator was going to be mr kindly um, and I had a scene in my head that kind of started almost when I began the book uh, that 
Mr. Kindly was kind of going to betray me here at the end of book three. And I had this confrontation in my head all along uh, and that and it never ended up playing out that way. But particularly in book one, if you read Never Night, Mr. Kindly is acting kind of skeevy and untrustworthy the whole time. Like he's kind of watching her while she sleeps and he's, he's a little bit creepy and spooky. That, that was a holdover from the idea that maybe he was going to be the narrator and there would be a confrontation between them in the end. I'm glad I didn't go that way. I, 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 I quite like the way it turned out in the end. It, it feels like it was the best choice, but yeah, yeah I, I often make up a lot of this stuff as I go. I had no idea how the, the first book was going to end, let alone the trilogy. Wow. And I was going to say, know. I don't want to give any spoilers because there will be people who yeah, sure. need to. But um, you're not afraid to make some bold choices in your stories that might enrage people who read it. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. There's, a, there's a particular character who goes away uh, yeah. at one point in, in the first book. I didn't know that was going to happen until about two chapters before it happened when I was writing it. Wow. Did it ever cross your mind? Like, ooh, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? Did you, would you just like, fuck it, I'm going to do it? Yeah, I mean, it was scary. But I, I think often when you're doing scary things, when you're writing, that you're probably on the right path. Um, if you're surprising yourself, then you're probably surprising your reader as well. And as long as you're not surprising for the sake of shock value, as long as there's a cool narrative choice you can find at the heart of it, then yeah, doing the scary thing is often takes the story in really interesting directions. Like oh, it I definitely did. Yeah, did. Uh, <laughs> sure, yeah, uh, and and the the events that kind of spill out from that one uh, deletion removal uh, of, yeah. of the character kind of kind of breaks that. Uh, it, it kind of breaks the path of where the novel you think is heading and the relationships that may form subsequent to that. And that, you know, really informed her as a character, like the people that she falls in with in book two and the fallout from those relationships really made her and the story come alive in my head, I think. So, and all that came out of one, you know, surprise choice that I made myself, you know, with about two chapters warning, so. And you've carried that surprise choices uh, into Empire of the Vampire um there was a lot that happened in that book that I absolutely did not foresee coming how much of that was planned when you started writing was that again kind of just following your gut and following the story how much did you know was going to happen with poor Gabriel I knew a lot about what happened to him when he was younger because I kind of had to know where he was starting when I started writing him so I knew I knew a lot of what happened in the young Gabe storyline that was pretty well plotted out in my head because obviously his experience as a young man inform him as an older man. So the, for those of you listening who haven't read it, the book is kind of, it's arranged in two timelines almost. Gabriel is telling the story of his life in two parts, one when he's 15, 16, and one when he's 32. Uh, and as he tells the story, he kind of swaps back and forth between the timelines when he doesn't feel like talking about one, he'll switch to the other. And when I was writing the book, I was writing those timelines in tandem up to a point, but it reached the point where I really needed to finish the young Gabe story yeah. because it so deeply informed who he would be when he got older. So in the end, I went away and wrote that entire first half of the book or the first timeline of the book and then finished off the older one. But a lot of the key points and the big battles and the kind of tragic events 
I, I knew they were coming because, yeah, like I said, they would inform who he was when he got old. And I knew what was going to happen. Oh, I can't talk about it on a spoiler. Probably, probably <laughs> the most terrible thing that happens to him in the book. I knew that was coming from an early time as well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. When but you I, make, I, I make it sound like I knew what I was doing, but I really didn't. Like, I... Empire is probably 200, I think it's 242,000 words long, and I probably wrote about 400,000 words Whoa. to find those 240. I, th I threw out a lot of words. It's a <laughs> I wrote myself to the dead end. Yeah, <laughs> I wandered around all over the place. And yeah, I, I when I was I was living in Prague in 2019, because wow. uh, I was over in Europe for the tour for Dark Dawn, the third Nemonite book. Uh, and at the end of that tour, I just decided I was going to park myself in Prague and finish this bloody vampire book because Prague is a pretty gothy city. If you're going to write yeah. a vampire book, it's a pretty good place to live. Um, and I realized about halfway through my stay that Empire was just, it was broken. It just didn't work as a book. And I honestly thought about not finishing it because it was, it was just so hard. Like it was the hardest book structurally and in terms of craft that I've ever written. Um, and I honestly didn't know at one stage if I could finish it or not wow uh, but I pushed but I pushed through <laughs> thank god you did <laughs> yeah I mean it's the best book that I've written I think honestly but it was also the hardest book that I've written by far it really pushed me I I, I described it to friends it was like going up a weight grade at the gym like yeah. you know you go to the gym every day and you lift 20 kilos and you can do it pretty easy after a while and then you put five more kilos in the bar and it's like you've never lifted a barbell in your life it felt like that that's what empire felt like but for two two and a half three years of my life <laughs> wow you can tell it's got so many layers and you've got you've got these footnotes in there as well um which is a choice you obviously make but again that's probably setting yourself a lot more work as well because you're really going in depth into so much in that world and that story it feels like you're reading a historical textbook right which yeah i mean I <laughs> I I love that about fantasy. I, I kind of like granular world building. I like to know. Um, yeah, I, I love it when writers put thought into the systems, um, be it you know economic or religious or governmental or whatever. It, it makes the world feel real and lived in. Um, and I you know one of the reasons why I did the footnotes in Nevernight was because I realised that not every reader is. In as in love with that kind of detail as I am. Uh, and so if you don't like to know why this sword fighting style is named what it is or how this system of currency came about, you can just skip the footnote and you don't miss anything of importance in the actual story. But for people like me who enjoy that level of granular world building, yeah, it's there. But yeah, that, that's one of the things I love about writing fantasy. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a real world that you're stepping into. And I think what I love is for me, this is a proper vampire book. This isn't just, you know, dare I say it, you know, uh, sanitized vampires. This is proper gory, old school goth vampires. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, that was they were the kind of vampires that I grew up with when I was a kid. Um, you, you watched know, Buffy, right? Everybody must have watched Buffy. Uh, my wife is a massive Buffy fan. <laughs> I, I have never actually sat down and watched an episode of Buffy but I feel like I've seen it because it was always kind of on in the house so I would yep. osmose everything that happened but I watched all of Angel yes. um, weirdly enough I never watched Buffy but I watched Angel 
Uh, I'm a ma- I'm a massive Vampire Diaries fan. Like I love the Vampire Diaries, which there is was weird. Like Easter eggs, right? With the Vampire Diaries, I've never seen it, there but I was. Know people like what? There was. There's a. There's. Uh, I can't remember. It, it's pretty early on in the book, but yeah. Gabriel is talking about a parable, an old prince of Nordland who married an Eladani princess, and his name is Matteo, and her name is Elena, which is Matt and Elena from the Vampire yes. Diaries. <laughs> Oh my god! I have never seen it. I for my sins, and I know that I should, but I know that so many people. I saw so many like stories, like oh my god, this is Vampire Diaries, and you had a lot of like music references in there. I picked up a few. Yeah, I like to throw in music references. I, I do it in all my books. I'll throw in like a, a lyric or a song title as a chapter title or something like that, just to give a shout out. Um, yeah. It, it's uh, it's my way of kind of paying homage, I guess, to the music that I'm listening to and the artists that I love. Uh, yeah, and I'm yeah, guessing you're listening to music while you're writing. You must have music on. I, I do, yeah, but I listen, I, when I'm writing, I tend to listen to more orchestral stuff and music, uh, like movie scores. Um, okay. Anything that has lyrics, the words tend to drag me out of my words and I find it hard to concentrate, so I'll only listen to music, music. Um, but, you know, when I'm thinking and plotting the book, walking around with a dog or whatever, I've got the headphones on full blast. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. music <laughs> plays a big part in it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I think as well, there's a lot of people who you've got characters in that that are real baddies. You know, the bad guy in this is a big bad, right? This isn't, you know, I don't think he's going to have much of a redemption arc. I'd be kind of surprised if he did. He really strikes me as about as evil as you can get, right? Yeah, I mean, he has reasons for what he does. Um, and, you, and you find out a little bit more about that in book two. You're really going to meet him truly in book three. But um, he is in part at least kind of a thought experiment in, in, in the, the cost of time, I guess. Like Anne Rice did this very well in books like Interview with the Vampire, the notion that on a long enough timeline, everything just goes away. Like everything erodes, mountains erode, planets go away on a long enough timeline. So if you're a person who kills somebody every night for 500 years, because you have to kill them to live, eventually you're going to stop seeing them as people and start seeing them as food. That's just the way it goes. Um, So yeah, Fabian in particular is kind of a thought experiment in where that ultimately leads, what you become on a long enough timeline. And I think you inevitably trend towards, well, at least insofar as the things you're eating goes, you trend towards evil. Um, I'm sure the cows that we eat think of us as evil if they're capable of that level of logical thought. Um, But you don't think about the cow when you eat your hamburger or your steak for dinner. You don't think about the family it had or the children that it had or the cow buddies that missed it. You just think about whether your burger is well done or medium rare. so Fabian is kind of like that. He he understands people, what they are, but he just doesn't care anymore. Um, yeah, which which from our point of view is an absolute evil, but he doesn't see it that way. Like the most compelling villains to me are ones that don't actually think of themselves as villains. Yeah. Yeah, I guess from, from his perspective, he's not evil. He's just living, right? He's just doing Yeah, I mean, he... He's doing what he needs to do to survive. Uh, and yeah, he's he's from 
you know, his society, his civilization has had to live in the shadows for hundreds and hundreds of years for fear of what would happen to them if humanity knew they existed. You get dragged out in the sunlight and burned. So you're, you know, on the one hand, you're this impossibly powerful creature. Uh, and on the other hand, you're absolutely vulnerable and living in a constant state of terror. What's going to happen to you if they discover you? And all of a sudden, those shackles get removed and the boot that's been on your throat for the last 800 years is gone. What do you do? Um, you probably kick them back, right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I, I try I try and think it's it's hard because, you know, we're only people and we live for, if we're lucky, 90 odd years. It's hard to put yourself into the head of something that's been alive for hundreds. But I try, I try and have, you know, a kind of central motif to a lot of the bigger vampires. Danton is another character that ironically, he kind of stems from my love of the vampire diaries. Um, because you know, the vampire. I, I, I love the Vampire Diaries, um, and I'm Team Damon for life. Uh, but if you think, <laughs> yes. if you think logically, I mean, everyone is Team Damon, right? There's, there are people on Team Damon and people who don't yet acknowledge they're on Team Damon. Um, but if you think about it logically, he's he's creepy as fuck. Like he's a 140 year old man macking on a 16 year old girl, um, which is pretty disturbing when you actually think about it. it there's there's a trick that our minds play on us. We look at him and we see Ian Summerhalder and he only looks, you know, in his mid twenties. So there's this this logical disconnect your brain makes where somehow it's okay to see Elena and Damon together because they look like they could be, but you think about it logically, they shouldn't be. He's 140 years old. What does a 140 year old man have to talk to a 16 year old girl about nothing? Um, But yeah. Danton is kind of my my thought experiment on that motif of kind of vampire romance. What happens to that kind of person on a long enough timeline? You know, the the idea of romance goes away and it just kind of becomes jealous and possessive and ugly and envious yeah. and covetous. Um, so yeah, Danton is kind of Edward Cullen or Damon. I Salvatore was going to say it's that you know it's that Twilight thing. You see Ever Cullen, he looks like a 17-year-old. So you're like, oh, it's okay, he's 17. He's not, you know, he's hundreds of years no, old. He's, Apex Predator. <laughs> yeah, and, and there, I actually watched Twilight for the first time. I haven't read the books, but uh, readers of mine, I, I was doing another podcast and I said that I would sit down and watch uh, Twilight. Oh, I saw in your if, stories. I saw your... Yeah, if someone sent me a bottle of Vampire Diaries bourbon because of the Ian Summerhalder and um, God, I can never remember the actor's name. The dude who plays Stefan, they they um, make a bourbon together on the side. It's their side hustle. Nice. And so I said, if someone sent me a bottle of this bourbon, I would drink it and watch Twilight. Um, and there's a couple of scenes in Twilight where you can very easily see how badly this could go. Like <laughs> Edward is kind of sitting across from Bella and saying things like, I feel very protective of you kind of you could see how very quickly that just becomes yeah yeah kind of ugly and possessive and destructive and stuff so yeah Danton was was kind of my thought experiment on how that could go bad like where all the bad places that could go I'm curious how much of that bourbon you had to drink to get through Twilight I drank about half the bottle it actually it was surprisingly okay like I didn't I didn't dislike it as much as many people thought I would. It was a really interesting film. Like yeah. from a from a filmic point of view, it's it felt it felt like an indie film. 
Um, yes. The director and the director of photography actually did a really cool job. For the most part, it's really well shot. And I thought the actors were good as well. Like everyone hats on Kristen Stewart about how she was kind of boring and plain. And, you know, she, that's the kind of, that's the character she was playing. But I thought she did a good job. I thought everyone w was actually quite good. And it is what it is. You know, it's, it's a yeah. teen romance movie that happens to have vampires in it. It's not really a vampire film. So if you go into it, yeah, acknowledging that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're probably going to be disappointed. You probably should have watched Fright Night instead or something. But if you go into it, you know, thinking that it's going to be a teen romance that happens to have vampires, then it's it's better shot than a lot of other films out there. So yeah, I was quite pleasantly surprised. I think it not, definitely not goes from. I think like Twilight is. I don't mind Twilight. I think you get to. Yeah. Movie, and I'm like okay, and then it's the last two. I feel like they don't really want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I, it had be, kind of become the global phenomenon at that point. Like it was huge. Um, and yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I, from what I understand, it gets quite silly, but I haven't, I haven't seen any of the later films. I'll probably drink the rest of that bottle and, and watch me need... at some point. <laughs> <laughs> then you need another bottle for the next two. Yeah, to get through the next two. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just, I think it became bigger than itself i don't say the first film is actually really well shot i think the forest scenes are, yeah i'm afraid you're talking to a film student now as well so you've really oh really <laughs> yeah interesting but yeah, yeah i, I thought the dop did some great stuff yeah and the way the camera work was used to kind of be evocative of what some of the characters were doing and feeling like there was obviously a lot of thought put into those shots um so yeah it, it, the craft of that movie was surprisingly cool uh, yeah. like my my illustrator itself, Bob, right yeah, right. My illustrator, Bon, who does the illustrations in Empire, she's a film student too, and she kind of worded me up about the history of of the production and the way it kind of came together. And she, she's like a mad Twilight fan, but from a film student point of view. Um, and yeah, it, it, the craft of it was actually really quite good. Yeah, I have to say as well, going on to the illustrations, I mean, when I got Empire through my door, it made quite a loud sound as it sort of hit the ground. <laughs> sure. <laughs> as you open up i mean the illustrations are insane this is like a luxe book right the hardback you don't get illustrated books like this no um but you you kind of used to like i remember i've got a edition of the hobbit that had illustrations from tolkien in there um yeah a lot of the fantasy that i read or at least remember reading as a kid had illustrated components so yeah i i like the idea of bringing that back um because you know some readers don't see when they read they 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 don't see in a in a mental sense so anything that helps them along is cool but also incorporating the idea of illustration into the text and having an artiste be the chronicler who kind of sketches as he takes the notes down that that was just kind of a cool idea for me i try and do something a little different every time i write a book be it the illustrations or the footnotes or whatever um yeah, just because I like playing, I like colouring outside the lines a little bit in terms of what a book is and can be. But yeah, bon, Bond's amazing. Like she's she's such a talent, and I'm so lucky to have her working with me. She's almost finished all the illos on book two now. Um, and yeah, I was going to say book two. I don't want to. I don't want to ask too many questions, but I mean, <laughs> it took you a long time to write book one, right? So how does it feel now on book two? Is it kind of an easier process than it was to kind of get book one down? Uh, it's taken a little less time. Um, 
I have a I have a more concrete idea of what the book needs to do and where we need to go, uh, and I'm kind of driving towards an endpoint. But they're they're big books, you know. Book two will be as probably as long as book one, maybe a tiny bit longer. Wow. Um, so there's obviously yeah, there's a lot there's a lot going on in there. Uh, just you know, putting down that many words on the page takes a long time, let alone have them be be cohesive and compelling and whatever. So they're yeah, they're definitely hard books to write, but book two is in a really cool place. Um, I'm, I'm doing the final, final edit on it now. And I'm up to, I've got it open in front of me. Where am I up to? I am up to chapter seven of book four. And there's six books in total. So I'm, I'm kind of two thirds of the way through. That's uh, impressive. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's all going really well. Um, it's a cool book. It's different to book one, but it's kind of the same. Uh, yeah, I, I I can't wait for people to read it. Well, I've been looking at it for like three years now. So oh my god, I literally, like people just read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just get this fucking thing out of here. Um, <laughs> I don't yeah. anymore. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, like I say, the illustrations are all almost done. Uh, I've got the UK cover open on my desktop right now, which looks freaking uh, amazing. Uh, so we're doing kind of finishing touches on that now little tweaks but it's like 99% there and it just looks awesome so yeah I it's all happening I, I can't wait for people to see it that's that's what we want to hear that's all I wanted to hear really we can end the podcast now you tell me what I came here for <laughs> yeah yeah it's all happening it's it's baller I don't, I don't know if it's if the cover is as good as the first book uh, actually, I don't I don't know if it's better but I think it's as good it's fucking sick it looks really really good so yeah uh Hopefully we'll have news on a cover reveal soon. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'll be keeping my eyes peeled for that uh that sneak peek of the cover. To be honest with you, when I bought Empire, I just remember like being on Instagram and seeing it and I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, what is that? And when, when, I was like, where did you it? hear about it? It just popped up on your Instagram it just, feed. Literally, one day, it popped or? up on my feed. I think I was scrolling through and I just <laughs> someone had shared it or it come up and I was like, what is that? Like as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my God. And as soon as I wow, read the blurb, I was cool. like, well, I need it. So, and so began my, yeah. my love affair with your work. <laughs> there you go. And here, and here we are talking right now. That's cool. I mean, it, it's great to hear. That's what we want to hear as an author, that the cover kind of drew people to it. Yeah, I, Kirby Rosanos, who's the illustration, and Michaela Elkana, who's the designer. Yeah, they, they did an incredible job. I, it's Michaela's work. One of the, oh, she's, she's amazing. Um, yeah, it's, I, I, I think it's one of the coolest book covers I've ever seen. And I, I know I'm biased when I say that because it's mine, but I honestly had very little to do with it. Um, but yeah, they, they did an incredible job. So I'm yeah, glad you can't really take credit was... for the cover because what you really did was go, yes. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> make it make it blacker. That's kind of what I said. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad it uh, enticed you enough to pick it up. That's cool. That's, that's great to hear. And I cannot wait for book two. And now I'm hoping with your novel evening, I'm gonna be honest, I have no idea what to expect. Sometimes I can guess and I have a, an inkling, but I have no idea what you're gonna to bring to your novel evening, if I'm honest with you. So what what's your what's your inkling? What's your guess? I mean, now you said the vampire diaries, I'm like, maybe they'll show up. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No? Okay. Okay. No, no. So I guess the first question is where are you gonna take us for this? I mean, I, I'm taking you to Elodine, which is the setting uh, for Empire, simply because 
like I say, I've been looking at this book for like three years now, so it's pretty much all I see or Plus think the three of years all before day, that, day. right? With the quads. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, this this place is part of my DNA now. I've been living in it so long. So I'm I'm pretty intimately familiar with it. So I can talk about it with authority at least. And you can keep so, us yeah, there, right? You could take us there and you know the safe spots and where we should be going, where we shouldn't be going. Yeah. Yeah, in theory. I mean, I run the joint in theory. I'm in charge of everything. So uh, we, if you're going to be safe anywhere in the place, uh, you're probably safest with me. But yeah, it's not a it's not a nice place. It's probably the most unpleasant world that I've ever written um, in terms of being dangerous. You know, it's it's a pseudo European medieval setting uh, in which vamp a, a vampire apocalypse is taking place. <laughs> so I can't wait. It's Sounds pretty dangerous. Great. Yes. This is going to be wonderful. And I assume we're going to we're going to be in a castle of some description, right? We're not just going to be out in the woods. Uh, I mean, it would certainly be safer inside a castle. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Aladane is a it's a continent uh, made up of five different countries. Uh, and it's loosely based on Western medieval Europe and the power the, the country that is in power at the time uh, is called Eladane and it has effectively formed an empire out of itself and the four other countries around it. And it's loosely based on medieval France. So the etymology and the naming conventions, the language is loosely based on the French. And they're a colonial power that expanded westward. They're situated in the east and they've been in charge of this joint for about 600 years. But Unfortunately, 27 years ago, there was an environmental calamity, which has come to be known as Day's Death. And it's loosely based on an actual historical event uh, that happened in 636 and again in 640 AD. Oh. Uh, as you can imagine, historical records of the time are pretty poor, but historians talk about a time when the sun didn't shine as brightly in the sky. And scientists think it was because of a meteor impact or something that threw a whole bunch of particulate matter into the air. But basically, the sun didn't shine as bright. And as a result, all the crops failed. And when crops failed, you get famine. And when you get famine, you get war. So it was a pretty tumultuous time across Europe. And yeah, uh, the same is true in Eladane. So there's been an environmental calamity called Day's Death. No one knows what caused it, but the sun stopped shining as brightly in the sky. You can still see it. It hangs up there and there is still day and night, but the day is far less bright than it used to be. And as a result, all the crops died and a lot of people starved to death. It's very, very cold all the time. Winter tends to last about six months of the year rather than three. And on top of all the horrible things that have happened, you know, uh, entire ecosystems have died. Plants don't grow as well when there's not as much ultraviolet light and UV light. So all the ecological structures that were built around you know eating grass or growing wheat have just kind of collapsed um, most of the apex predators are dead most of the big herbivores are dead uh, people have kind of conglomerated in cities because urban life is easier than living out in the rural provinces and unfortunately on top of all these horrible things uh, vampires in this world are real and they've figured out that sunlight which used to kill them uh, isn't bright enough to kill them anymore so they can walk around in the day with impunity they're not afraid to keep their existence a secret anymore and so they've started popping up around this land over the last 27 years and slowly taking it over so yeah the entire empire is in the grip of a vampire apocalypse which 
makes for good storytelling, but it's a fun to live in. <laughs> We're yeah, go that's right. <laughs> just, just for a sightseeing tour, and then we get the hell out. <laughs> Our winters here in the UK probably last about six months. It's very cold most of the time. I think I'm going to do great. Does it does it snow where you live down in in Derry? Uh, very occasionally. Okay. Um, we have a very like mini climate down here in Devon for some reason. The rest of the country will have snow and we'll have quite nice weather, but we do have moors, so it does snow on the moors. So uh, you know, I'm, oh cool. Yeah, I'm fairly hard. Do the moors stopped. freeze? Yeah, the moors yeah, freeze? Yeah, yeah, okay. It's very cool. So I'm. I'm so they turn to ice. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you go up there, that is cool. Like frosty as hell. Um, I'm actually yeah. there, uh, the week after next. I'm shooting a film on that for three days uh, and they give snow so am I oh, amazing <laughs> yeah there, there's a lot of really yeah there's a lot there's a lot of really cool because it doesn't snow in australia much at all you have to go to pretty high altitude um so it's quite strange for an australian to be writing a book that's set in a almost a perpetual winter i didn't yeah. see real snow until i was like in my mid-30s i'd never seen wow it. <laughs> yeah. oh, God, that's yeah <laughs> You um, one, yeah. thing called snow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it wasn't anything like I imagined. It's weird. You you see it on TV and you think it's going to be soft and fluffy, and then you realize no, it's just cold and wet. <laughs> yeah, and usually like hard. If you fall on snow, yeah, it hurts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's not fun. <laughs> okay, so it we're looks way more fun on the telly. Oh, we're going to turn up to <laughs> to this world you've created, um, and we're going to get entrenched somewhere relatively safe who's the first person who's going to show up to join us i think gabe who is the protagonist of empire he's pretty safe pair of hands um so he is he's what's called a pale blood uh which means he is the son of a vampire father and a mortal mother so these are people who have kind of inherited some of the strength and power of their vampire dads, but they're also afflicted with some of their weaknesses and their thirst in particular. Uh, and what tends to happen to these people, they get recruited into a religious order called the Order of Samachon. They're also called the Silver Saints and they get brought in at a young age and trained to kill monsters essentially uh, because they're stronger and they're faster and they're more resilient than a normal human. They're kind of defenders of humanity against the supernatural. Uh, and Gabe got recruited into the order when he was 15 years old and he became kind of like a living legend. He was involved in a couple of really famous battles when things were going a little better for humanity and it looked like maybe we might be able to win the war. Uh, he was involved in a couple of our early victories. So he's he's kind of a household name. Uh, he's, he's fallen on hard times. He's had some terrible things happen to him in his life and he's not maybe the man that he used to be. He's more grumpy and uh, he drinks a lot heavier than he used to when he was a young man but he still knows his way around the the world that we're living in so yeah he, he's he's safe to be with or as he's safe also, as anyone can be I guess he's one of my book boyfriends um ah there you go really good opportunity right, for me company. to meet him that's that yeah works. sure <laughs> yep <laughs> no works. wonderful <laughs> okay so Gabe has arrived we're in safe hands now. We've got you and we've got Gabe. So we're sat in this world. Who's next? To join us. Mm -hmm. um, let's see who else we can talk about. The thing, the thing is that I don't want to give away any spoilers. No. Um, so. Hmm. 
<laughs> You're like, oh no. <laughs> Gabe, Gabe, Gabe has a magic sword uh, yep. called the Ash Drinker. Uh, and it speaks to him telepathically, or it speaks to anyone who holds it telepathically. Um, and there is some conjecture among historians about how he got it. Uh, no one quite knows. There's, there's uh, contradictory stories about the origins of how he came across it. But uh, when it hit, when it touches vampires, they they burst into flames. So it's it's kind of a magical sword. Uh, again, Ash has seen better days. The end, the last six inches of her blade is broken off. Uh, and no one quite knows why. And if you ask Gabriel about how it happened, he probably gets pretty grumpy and doesn't want to talk about it. Uh, and as a result, she's she's kind of not the sword that she used to be. She's a little bit weird in the head. Uh, <laughs> she of, she often sings to herself, and she sometimes forget where she is and when. Uh, but she's still pretty deadly to vampires, so uh, yeah. she's she's good to have on the team. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. And also, I feel like maybe we could get Gabe to tell us what happened. I know you know, but I'd like the challenge of getting him to tell us what happened. <laughs> there's a great there's a great scene. One of my favorite scenes of the book uh, is when Gabe is talking to another character, Dior. Um, yes. And Dior, uh, Gabe tells Dior that Ash Drinker can foresee the moments of people's death. It can tell it can tell people how they die. Uh, and Dior asks, okay, well, how do I die? Uh, and Gabe kind of looks at Dior for a minute and then says, you keep asking me stupid questions and I drown you in this river. <laughs> <laughs> That's the response so, yeah. I'm going to get. <laughs> <laughs> he, does, he doesn't talk about it much. He's, he's, he's a guy who plays his cards close to his chest. He really does. Now, is there any characters from your previous books you would invite? Uh, I mean, Mia would be good to have along. Um, Mia and Gabe. Mia is the heroine from the Nevernite series. Uh, she is she's essentially an assassin, uh, but she's also what's called the Dark, and she has the ability to manipulate and control shadows. Which sounds great, but in the world where she lives, unfortunately, the world of Nevernite, it's set in a trinary star system. There's three stars, three suns that are kind of constantly shining in the sky. And so there's very little darkness. It's it's kind of daytime, two and a half years at a stretch, and then the suns go down for two and a half weeks and they get night and then the suns come back up again. So the ability to manipulate darkness is great, except if you live in a horde where there's no darkness. That's the kind of author I am. I'm a bit of a prick in that yeah. regard. <laughs> uh, but she's very good with a blade. Uh, she's handy with poison. Um, and yeah, she has the ability to manipulate shadows and she has, she and Gabe have a lot in common. They, they would probably both have a lot of gripes to share about the fact that I'm their author. Because <laughs> I, I put them. I You're put really them bold. Yeah, as I say, yeah, really bold me sitting, up, my, but... sitting myself in this room with them. Yeah, that, that would be risky, to be honest. And then I think they can drink. Like Mia can hold her own. They could, yes. Although there's no, um, there's no wine in the world where Gabriel lives because. Of course, the sun doesn't shine anymore, uh, so grapes don't grow. So the only liquor they can craft is vodka because you can still grow potatoes. I had a friend uh, who is a she's like a she's a botanist slash biologist uh, that I met when I put out the call years ago on Twitter. It's like hey, I'm thinking about building this world. Is anyone out there a botanist by any chance? And this lovely woman named Fiona um, got in touch with me and 
she was kind of my sounding board that I threw a lot of ideas at um, because I'm not a botanist. Obviously, I'm not a scientist. I'm not at all technically minded. Uh, so what I try and do when I'm world building is is lean on the experience and knowledge of other people. Uh, and so Fiona and I kind of kicked around the idea of what would happen to you know the ecosystem in a world where the sun didn't shine anymore. What would, what would you be able to grow? What would you be able to eat? And one of the things that you can still grow in a low light environment is mushrooms and potatoes so all of the liquor in Elodane nowadays is vodka it's made out of spuds drink some vodka there's worse things to drink right yeah yeah true it's it's not bad it's fine I mean the, the cuisine isn't great you're basically eating potatoes and mushrooms and sometimes rabbits that's kind of all there is to eat so we're I hope you like fungus <laughs> no we're not we won't stay for dinner no we'll just hang for a bit but oh no thank you to the uh, mushrooms yeah. and potatoes yeah just take a sip of vodka and nod politely i'm not sure how impressed me i mean mia might fare very well in this darker environment she might find oh she'd be she'd be amazing yeah it's dark all the time there so she would be happy as a as a pig in mud (laughs) literally okay so is there anyone else you think should join this little party um let's see Yeah, we should probably bring Mr. Kindly, who is Mia's sidekick. Um, she tends to not go anywhere without him. So Mr. Kindly is, uh, he's a what's called a daemon. He's like a living shadow, uh, a shadow familiar that has known Mia since she was a little girl. Uh, he takes the shape of a cat, although he's actually not a cat at all. He just copied the shape of one of Mia's childhood pets. Uh, and he likes the shape, so he keeps it. But uh, you don't quite know what he is, really. You know that he's probably not all he appears, but he's very sarcastic. Uh, he's quite biting and quite brutally honest at times. Uh, he would not be shy about sharing his feelings on any given topic, but he's also pretty insightful. Uh, and he'll be honest with you when nobody else is. So he, he's good to have around. If you're about to do something particularly stupid, he'll be the first one to tell you. Yeah. I'd like to see him and, and Ash together as well. I wonder what that would be like. <laughs> watching that yeah I'm pretty sure Mr Kylie would be very rude to her because she doesn't make sense a lot of the time and he doesn't have much time he doesn't have much patience he's, he's pretty cutting and acerbic so I'm not sure they would get along no you've got a real group of fellows going on here I must say this is yeah I mean there's, there's a, a lot of badasses in the room so, so this should be safe yeah, I'm not. I'm just going to be sat in the corner, just watching events unfold nervously, drinking potato, yeah. drinking potato vodka and hammering boards over the windows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I don't know. As like the probably the weakest human in the room, you know, I'm very much at a disadvantage if something were to happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, at the same time, you won't, you won't be on the front line, so you won't be the first to get killed at least i i guess that's no i'll get to watch everybody else first yeah uh, that's, that's actually, really yeah, my position of power <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you can that. run while every while everybody else you know holds the fort you can you can escape you can be the one that tells the tale at the end of it that's true i like that okay is there anybody that you really don't want to show up with this group of people uh i mean i guess it would be the big bad that we were talking about before uh he's he's kind of the the chief villain of the empire of the vampire 
world. Uh, his guy, he's a guy by the name of Fabian Voss, but he's also called the Forever King. Uh, and he is in theory, the oldest vampire alive. No one really knows because, you know, you, you only hear myths and legends about these things that have been alive for centuries. Not many people are around seven, 800 years ago, but he seems to be one of the oldest and most powerful vampires on the planet. He's the patriarch of one of the vampire bloodlines called the Voth. Uh, and he's been extremely successful in his military campaign over the last 27 years. So he's taken over kind of half the country and his forces are pressing on the capital of the empire as we speak. So he's kind of on the verge of victory um, and no one really knows where he's from or what he's about, but uh, he's, he's not a nice guy. Mm-mm. at least not from not from our point of view anyway um, i mean you said at the beginning of this you know you're kind of in charge of this world you've created it i feel like fabian would have something to say about that yeah probably <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> i think he'd disagree with you strenuously <laughs> sure he's 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 definitely not a person who would like to play second fiddle to anyone um yeah. particularly not a bag of meat like me you know i'm, I'm just a mortal person and he tends to look at yeah, like he tends to look at mortals the same way you and I look at cows. He just yeah. sees this as a source of food uh, and maybe momentary entertainment. But he really is kind of he's so old he's forgotten what it is to be human. Yeah. Um, he's kind of shed the trappings of mortality and become almost alien in the way he views the world and the people around him. You uh, might be so, aware. Yeah, he's a, he's a scary chap. Yeah, there's a corner of the internet I may or may not be a member of, but the have a bit of a thing for Fabian Voss. Ah, uh, really? He's a bit of a pinup. I know he shouldn't be, yeah. but for some the dark, reason. The dark daddy vibes. That's <laughs> what... It's that, yeah, it's that. It. that is it. You've pretty much summed it up. Um, yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, he wouldn't consider us in the same way at all because we're just food. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, you never know. He he could he he could have a, a change of heart. I mean, he he's kind of kind of alien in his mindset. No one, okay. people only speculate why he does things he does. So he could take a shining to you. You never know. He he cares very strongly about his family members. Uh, we know that for a fact. He has seven children or six children. Yeah. Uh, and he cares very deeply about them and the ideas of legacy. So. Uh, you never know your luck in the big city, but yeah. He... And I'm coming with, you know, intelligence about technology and things. That's really how I'd sell survival. I'd be like, I know how to work things you've never heard of, so you should keep me alive. Yeah, but the thing is you don't actually know how they work. No. Like you just know <laughs> you just know how to plug them in and stuff. Like I was <laughs> made a bold assumption there. Maybe I know how they work. <laughs> I mean, you're a film student. You're like me. I'm pretty sure you went to arts college. We're useless in a crisis situation. <laughs> I like. I can paint this successfully. Yeah, that's right. I, you probably couldn't even bash two rocks together and light a fire if your if your survival skills <laughs> are anything really like mine. <laughs> yeah, um, we're not actually very good at, at 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 much. We couldn't grow crops. We couldn't hunt. We wouldn't know how to find north. Uh, we wouldn't know what is safe to eat out in the woods. We would die very, very quickly. <laughs> really quickly, really. I've never used yeah, the, swords. The, I can't fight. No, the art students will be the first against the wall when the revolution comes. <laughs> and I say this as an art student. But I tell you, I'm going to make one hell of a documentary about it while it's happening. <laughs> yeah, the thing is that the 
if the grid goes down, you won't be able to recharge the batteries with your camera. So it'll be quite a short film. We'll be used, yeah, literally, it will be absolutely useless. I just think, yeah. what would I do in an apocalypse? I like to think in an apocalyptic situation, I'd fare really well. And I think that's a no, you die. I tell myself. <laughs> you would die like me. There's a, there's a great scene in, um, it's a terrible movie. But it's called Rain of Fire. It's about a dragon apocalypse. Yeah. Um, and it has, I think it has Matthew McConaughey in it. And it does. maybe Christian Bale. Yeah. It's a terrible film. But there's an amazing scene in it where humanity is kind of living in bunkers because dragons are real and they've just nuked the whole planet. And there's a scene, you, it kind of plays out in the background where because there's no electricity anymore and there's no film or television or whatever, all there is is storytelling now. And so two people are telling the story of Star Wars and kind of making the sound effects, to, you know, acting out the, the lightsaber fight between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Maybe we could do that. <laughs> that, that would be it. We would, we would storytell to children yes. to keep them out of the way. <laughs> That's such, you know, people out there, you know, they're fighting the good fight, they're, you know, rebelling, yeah. science, they're scavenging, we're left as storytellers. Uh, we're the telly, we're the, we're the post-apocalyptic version of the telly, yeah. That's you I've never me, even mate. watched Star Wars all the way through, I'd be just, mate, I'd just be That's, making that shit up. Uh, you, after the third time we tell it, you'd have to hang it, but it's fine. I'd have it down. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah. uh, baby Jabba, I'd be like, that thing. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, yeah. I do, I think, you know, Fabian might, he might take a shine to me. Um, yeah, I know. It's very dark. No one quite knows what he's going to do. Um, <laughs> at least at least for a minute, at least, he might take a shine. I keep me as a pet for like a couple of days, you know. Yeah, you never know. You, there, you don't know what, there you there know are what worse is that that I'd like to go. Do. <laughs> True, with the dark daddy, yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, this has been not the most pleasant novel evening I've had. It's not the most luxurious. Um, it's almost, you know, it's dangerous. Um, it's very cold. Yeah. Cold. No one's having any fun. There's no good food. Um, no, even the vodka isn't great, but you know, there's lots of it at least. There aren't any mixes either. That's my problem. We're going to mix that vodka with. It's going to have them neat. I mean, yeah, you can have ice with it. There's lots of ice. Okay, okay. That brings it up like a notch. Like I mean? Yeah. I'll be out back chipping my ice for my vodka, sadly. Yeah, <laughs> with my dish of potatoes and fucking mushrooms. It's going to be great. Um, it's delicious, yeah. You've definitely brought the most apocalyptically dangerous, slightly depressing evening. Um but with a slice of excellent characters, so. Yeah, yeah, and it, like you were the guy in charge, so you're totally safe, and, unless I decide it would be interesting. Uh, two chapters from now, I just decide that I'm gonna kill you because it's gonna make for a more interesting narrative. You and I can't that. even tell what I'm gonna do that. <laughs> yeah, I have no. no idea what I'm gonna do two chapters from now. No, that's so the worrying thing about not leaving. Yeah, with you, you yeah, might be like, right. actually, I'm gonna bring Fabian in here. Let's mix this, this has got yeah, to be mix much up. more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> if we oh just killed goodness. off Danny in chapter 17. <laughs> you know what? I've always wanted to be a murder victim in a book. So if you ever wanted to kill me, you have full license. It would be great. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll see I'll see if, if uh, Fabs can, can off you in book three or something. I even have a French name. My name is Danielle. Look. Oh, there you go. All right. Maybe we can make that work. 
I've actually had, I had a, a crime author on here and she was like, oh, I really struggle. Like I try to use names of people I know just because I, I hear them. She's like, nobody ever wants to be like brutally emboweled or eviscerated. And I'm like, I, I volunteer as tribute. I will be in a book. Yeah, absolutely. I can be found chopped in two. Unfortunately, she's like, well, now people will know. She was like, I was going to make you the serial killer, which I think is even more my calling, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> I think it was, I would be really good at that. Um, but I get to be the best friend of the murder victim, which I'll take. Yeah, that's cool. That's nice. <laughs> in, um, I don't get a murder. In, uh, Illuminate, which is a book, sci-fi book that I wrote with yes. another Melbourne author, Amy Coffin. We ended up killing a lot of our friends because we needed lots and lots of names. Um, like we would have uh, early on in the book, we had a spaceship blow up, and then we listed the name of every single person on the ship just to kind of give you a a, a sense of the impact. And of course, we needed hundreds and hundreds of names, so we threw a lot of our friends in there and, and blew them up. Blew them it was up. the way we should love. Yep. Oh my god! I tell you now, but look, if a pink-haired mortal named Danielle happens to get brutally killed, I won't be mad about it. All right, no worries. <laughs> it might be the best thing that's ever happened to me. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. There's many people with pink hair, but I, I can probably um, put a Danielle in there somewhere. Yeah. In real life, it's a it's a sad, depressing mouse brown. So this <laughs> <laughs> isn't my natural color. Funnily, um, <laughs> I'm a very sad brown haired girl trying to still be emo at thirty. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> And before I let you go and probably go to bed, because it's getting late where you are, um, sure. ask, are you reading anything at the moment? I'm actually reading a couple of things. Um, I am reading the next, uh, one of my one of my besties is another Australian author, C.S. Picat. Uh, and so I'm reading the final draft of her next book. Uh, so she had a book come out a couple of years ago called Dark Rise. Uh, and this is part two. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the title yet, though. I'm not sure it's been spoiled. Um, but yeah, the first book was called Dark Rise. Um, it's like a dark YA fantasy, and this is part two of it, and it's awesome. Uh, I am listening on audiobook to a really old uh, epic fantasy book. I've gone on a bit of an epic fantasy kick, uh, nice. and I'm listening to a book called Legend by David Gemmell. I actually haven't read any David Gemmell at all. I feel like it's a bit of a hole in my repertoire uh, and legend is one of his more well-renowned ones so yeah. i'm listening to that uh, and i'm also reading uh, the isle of the gods which uh, is the new book by my co-author amy uh, nice. who I wrote Illuminae and, and the aurora cycle with that is coming out uh, in a couple of months and it's her first solo ya uh, it's a it's a kind of a ocean bound fantasy story uh which is really cool i've only just started it but yeah it's beautiful um, oh i would and that absolutely is out. check out that sounds like my, you said yeah, it like ocean bound i'm like there <laughs> yeah um amy was a sailor when she was younger so she's thrown a lot of her love of the sea into the story it really shows on the page uh, yeah so that's called the isle of the gods and that's out in a couple of months amazing oh well i will absolutely be checking those out this is the problem with this podcast awesome. i have a list where i'm like right I this one <laughs> But I absolutely will check that out. And uh, thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy for me. And uh, we are eagerly awaiting the second Empire of the Vampire. Oh, we will have news really soon. I think we're, I think we're doing a title reveal really soon. Uh, and Ooh. cover reveals will follow shortly thereafter. So, yeah, it's all about to start happening. 
Damn. All right, then. I will keep my eyes peeled. And thank you again. This has been an absolute... You're more than welcome. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.